are listening to Get With IT, a podcast by IT Ops Times. I'm Jacob Lukowitz, multimedia editor at IT Ops Times. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the rise of Gen AI and how it has caused a shift in workloads to a new GPU-based cloud infrastructure. With me today is Kevin Cochran. He's the chief marketing officer at Vulture, a cloud infrastructure company. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. Great to have you here. So to start off for our audience, can you provide an overview of Gen AI and and how it relates to cloud infrastructure? Yeah, so obviously um, generative AI kind of exploded uh, earlier this year uh, with Louisa ChatGPT. And suddenly the promise that we've been talking about for many, many years of machine learning and artificial intelligence, people suddenly realized that the time was now upon us. And this year has been an explosion of interest in people exploring the art of the possible. And there's really three consequences to this. First, there was the mad rush for everyone to procure and stand up GPUs so that they could start experimenting and understanding what may be possible with all of these new LLMs and technology. Okay. The second uh, thing is people started needing to reinvest in a whole new skill set because the skill set for current developers for building cloud native applications now needed to be transformed because suddenly there was a new compute infrastructure. Uh, that they needed to learn in order to advance new cloud-native initiatives that were powered by AI. Third, there was a wholesale rethink in the supporting cloud infrastructure that was needed to make this all possible. So let's unpack each of those in turn. In the mad rush to secure GPU, people were largely focused and have been this entire year on training right? So let's take an LLM, let's throw some data at it, let's train this thing and explore what may or may not be possible, okay? In that mad rush to GPUs, people stood up uh, their existing clusters of A100s and H100s, and largely speaking, stood them up in colo facilities, their own data center locations. Now, the consequence of that is that's had a dramatic impact in terms of the outlook for 2024 because the scarcity of GPUs that you can stand up in your data center is now only gonna be matched by an even greater scarcity for people that are looking to put in place global infrastructure to support the provisioning of new trained models out for inference. Let's remember what we're trying to accomplish here. We're not just playing with generative AI to explore the art of the possible, we're looking to transform our customer experience, our end customers, our, our you know mm-hmm. our employees. We're looking to rebuild our application stacks and put generative AI at the core. So what this means is that we need to start thinking more broadly. How do we move beyond 2023 and training with large-scale GPU clusters? How do we start architecting a global infrastructure to power inference? The second thing is all of your developers need to learn new things, right? So they're building and deploying all these new cloud-native applications, driving all these serverless functions at the edge, all amazing things. But now we need to think differently about the edge and what we're deploying at the edge because it's no longer that we're caching application code and caching content. 
we actually need to actually have our models at the edge because every single interaction that we're having on a mobile phone, you know, talking to some voice assistants, that application code that's running at the edge also is actually running a model at the edge that's provided that's being given the context of who we are, what we're doing, and what we're requesting in the moment, and making a prediction about what it is that we need. So all of the developers that are building and deploying their applications now need to rethink that application architecture and the entire DevSecOps pipeline mm -hmm. tied to AI ops to basically embed generative AI at the core. So that's going to be a huge change in terms of developers and the learning that they need to go through to better architect uh, new, um, uh, you know, new applications. And the mm -hmm. third is on the cloud infrastructure side. I mean, the dirty little secret of the cloud is a lot of people rushed to the cloud over the past 10 years, right? And they deployed more and more workloads on the cloud. And all of those workloads, largely speaking, wound up being built on, you know, by an accident of history, the big three hyperscalers, Amazon, Azure, and GCP. And when rushing those workloads to the cloud, they relied on a lot of, you know, um, ancillary services and, you know, to build quickly uh, new applications that they can run at global scale. But what a lot of people realized is the ROI from deploying those workloads in the clouds didn't really pan out. And now there's a whole discussion around repatriation. Where does it make sense for certain workloads, given the cost of running them on things like Amazon, does it make sense to repatriate them to the data center? So. Mm -hmm. That's happening in the general cloud compute world. And so what's happening now when you talk about generative AI is we can't possibly build out the data center infrastructure to rapidly advance generative AI at global scale, right? Mm -hmm. How are you gonna suddenly stand up, you know, 32 colo centers all around the world and deploy the latest generation of NVIDIA hardware and get it all optimized storage and networking in order to get out your new AI powered application in 2024. You do not have the time to do that. So mm -hmm. we need to radically rethink the nature of the cloud. And this time, when we're deploying new generative AI workloads in the cloud, we need to do it with an eye towards cost efficiency. Let's not just mm -hmm. do what we did in the past and rush to the cloud and throw a whole bunch of workloads on and not get the ROI. This time, we need to use the cloud. We can't repatriate to the data center, but can we do it? in a smarter, better way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So um, kind of piggybacking off of that last point, what are some immediate things that organizations can do to, to have that cost efficiency when working with right. the cloud? I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to look at what is one of the biggest drivers for inefficiency in cloud spend. And that's the cost of bandwidth, right? It's the most unpredictable cost. It's the cost that nails you when you're achieving your greatest success, right? So you're doing some great new applicate, digital application. It's transforming your customer experience. It takes off. Everyone's excited. Everyone's using it. And suddenly you're getting crushed on bandwidth costs. Hmm. Well, this is only going to be 10 times worse in a generative AI world, okay? Your bandwidth costs are going to go through the roof. So one of the things that we need to be really good about is making certain that when we're building our new, 
you know, AI-powered digital applications that we're deploying them as close to the edge as possible, right? Because the closer to the edge, the less of a round tripping there's going to be to all of your inference server, which is going to save bandwidth. And let's also make sure that the infrastructure we put in place has generous, generous bandwidth allowances and doesn't and has predictable bandwidth allowances. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where cloud vendors like Vulture step in because unlike the traditional model, the hyperscalers that will wildly overcharge you on bandwidth, people that have bandwidth intensive applications for newer vendors like Vulture, for example, you can save between 80 and 95% on your cloud compute bills just, just on bandwidth alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this seems like a almost an entire shift in in how we consider edge devices, because it seems like a 100%. lot of them before, like a year or two before, didn't have the, you know, in mind that they would be hand, handling all this generative AI data. 100%, 100%. I mean, you really had like, kind of like, this is kind of like the third successive wave of what I would call edge, because first you had like the original CDNs of, of the world way back in 2000, so on and so forth. And that was just making certain that we had far-flung devices close to where people live and work to just simply cache content. And then I would actually argue like cloud was a different version of CDN, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, you had all this worldwide compute infrastructure where you can actually deploy application workloads and run some of those application workloads closer where people lived and work, right? Um, But now we're in like this third age where the two prior age get swept away, right? Uh, it's kind of like a tsunami. It's the third wave that's a really bad wave, right? Mm-hmm. And because now we need to put GPU at the core of everything. Okay, so let's examine what that means. What that means is the the low end uh, resources that were simply caching content, the edge the edge compute instances, they have to become smart, right? They're going to be as close to the five G towers as possible. Um, and as close to the 5G tower as possible, you have to have a compute resource that can not only run your application code, but can also run your inference models, okay? Mm-hmm. So those devices are gonna need to become smart. So there's gonna be a wholesale upgrade in worldwide you know, um, edge compute architecture. That's our prediction. CDNs go away. They become something different, radically different, okay? But then connected to those CDNs, kind of the second wave, where you have your traditional cloud compute workloads, those regional centers need to be completely re-architected as well, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That's where you're going to be doing all of your fine-tuning and your training on sovereign data sets, right? You can't just train a model in Santa Clara, right? There's going to be sovereign data sets that can only be utilized in Germany, in India, we're going to see more and more of that regulatory requirements going forward. So those regional data centers need to be built out uh, with your H100 clusters. Your H100 clusters, again, can't be in a colo facility in Santa Clara. It's going to need to be in Bangalore. It's going to need to be in Frankfurt. It's going to need to be in London, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this will create the new worldwide compute fabric. I mean, again, if you look at it from, you know, Roughly 2000 to 2010, you had the build out of CDN infrastructure. And in the past 10 years, you know, 2010 to 2020 plus, you know, was the build out of, you know, cloud compute. The next 10 years is going to be a complete re-architecture of both, putting GPU and generative AI at the core. Mm -hmm. All right. Very interesting. So what are some of the industries that you're seeing, um, you know, that these 
progressive waves are, are reformatting the most? Yeah, I mean, you're you have it really coming from two vectors, right? So you have one vector, which is more of your traditional um, uh, consumer-oriented um, industries, media, entertainment, you know, retail, uh, you know, highest on the list there. And obviously, the exploration for how to re-envision the customer experience, leveraging generative AI, is moving full steam ahead. I mean, you saw, you know, commerce and retail, of course, be the early adopters you know, with search and discovery, for example, um, and advanced merchandising. And you're only continuing to see greater innovation in both of those realms. But also with media and entertainment, I mean, think about it. The content that we generate today, you know, it's going to be more of a template. Uh, most of content going forward is going to be generated by generative AI. Um, and it's going to be generated at the edge at the end of the day, mm -hmm. right? Um, so... The wholesale transformation and media and entertainment, but then you also have it from um, more of the scientific community side. Um, you know, you're seeing a tremendous amount in healthcare. Um, you're sending a tremendous amount in, you know, life sciences. You're trying to see a tremendous amount in terms of hardcore engineering disciplines like climate sciences as well. So mm -hmm. all of these um, different vectors all of these different industries coming at it from a different point, a different approach, but at the same time, needing the same kind of global architecture view and wholesale rebuild of crowd infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So one question to, that comes to mind is that are most of the companies that we're talking about, you know, is this about them utilizing pr proprietary gen AI models um, that they need to, you know, run this compute on? Or is it a case of them kind of feeding their own customizable models, if that makes sense? Right, it does. I think you're going to continue to see an explosion of open source models. And, mm -hmm. okay. you know, it's just like in web infrastructure, right? When the open source ecosystem was unleashed, that's when you saw all of the innovation, and all of the core um, infrastructure that we have today. I think you're only going to see a continued development, continued explosion of open source uh, models. And we should encourage that, by the way, mm -hmm. um, as an industry. And I think what you'll see is, you know, whether in media entertainment, healthcare, life sciences, financial services, um, or retail e-commerce, you're going to see people take existing open source LLMs, extend them, use their proprietary data sets, both for initial training in a central global location, as well as all of the fine tuning and, and, and training that's necessary on sovereign data sets in region. And they're not just gonna use one open source you know, model, there's gonna mm -hmm. be an orchestration of models that ultimately deliver the outcome that they're seeking to achieve. So. You know, it's not like everyone's just going to standardize and bake open AI into their infrastructure stack. Mm -hmm. People are going to, over time, as we continue to advance um, innovation in the open source realm, take advantage of open source, extend that, orchestrate multiple open source uh, models, and leverage that all against their proprietary data sets. Mm -hmm. This is also, again, what gets back to the need to 
for developers to rethink how they build and architect their applications, right? They're familiar with using open source technologies. They're familiar with um, orchestrating an application lifecycle and using multiple open source projects to deliver an end goal. Now they need to think about where is it in that pipeline? Do they need to orchestrate multiple LLMs against a data set and migrate that from initial training to subsequent retraining and fine tuning out to production inference? Developers need to rethink that entire application uh, lifecycle and development process and all of the skill sets that they need around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, um, you know, about an open source and diversifying the models against the data set that, that I haven't really heard of before. Because when I'm looking at it now, I'm just seeing like the biggest LLM models are, you know, being bought out by the biggest cloud providers. Right. And I wonder if there's like a, you know, a lock-in that's that that it's tending towards there. Well, we need to prevent that. Remember, this is yeah. what happened in the this is what happened in the cloud wars, right? So mm-hmm. uh, when the original, you know, uh, cloud compute big three cloud compute vendors stepped in, you know, what their what their intent was is to build all of the ancillary services around building a cloud native application, lock you into multi year contract, and all sorts of dependencies between the various services, which means that you got locked in right right at mm-hmm. the end of the day, um, yeah. and that's that's where you can get bad pricing because mm-hmm. if you can get someone locked into a contract, give them a lot of three free credits for in order to, to use those credits, you have to use all the different services and then you lock them to a contract and then they're stuck. And then yeah, you can have crazy unpredictable pricing for things like bandwidth and overcharge for compute and overcharge for storage because you know what are people going to do? There's no alternative, right? We have to as an industry say in the next 10 years, as we're rebuilding cloud infrastructure for generative AI, we must do something different. We must prevent lock-in. We must encourage you know, the development of the open source ecosystem. And this is why we here at Vulture are leading up uh, a new alliance that we're looking to build over the course of the next uh, couple of years around composable cloud infrastructure in the application space. You know, There is something mm-hmm. called the Mock Alliance, which is all about you know, microservices, API first, cloud native, headless applications, all a community of over a hundred vendors and practitioners focused on the principles of composability to prevent lock into any one application vendor, right? We need to bring the principles of composability to the core infrastructure so that this Mm -hmm. next generation of the infrastructure stack does not lead us to the place where we had lock-in to the big three tech hyperscalers mm-hmm. and now have a repatriation movement where people are wondering whether they should take their workloads out of the cloud and put them back into their data centers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and kind of expanding on that, what are some of the considerations that organizations should take into account uh, when they're selecting their LLM or the GPU resources for the Gen AI projects? Right. So I think the most important thing uh, that people should be focused on is, you know, efficiency, right? So mm-hmm. in this day, this is also one more reason to um, not repatriate your workloads to the cloud and continue in the generative AI revolution to leverage cloud infrastructure. Um, these models, these data sets, um, these GPUs, they're very energy intensive. Now, the good news is that energy intensiveness is packed into a very small physical device. Mm -hmm. So if you look at 
a fun stat. So if you look at all of the video streaming uh, that's going on in the world, okay, um, and you look at the number of servers that it takes to actually stream things like Netflix, right? Those are all CPU-based machines, right? Mm -hmm. All of that needs to shift to GPU-based architectures, right? Now, when it shifts to GPU architectures, even though the individual GPUs themselves are much more energy intensive because they pack more power in a smaller box, you can eliminate the number of physical servers by a factor of 10 to one. You get massive, massive, massive energy savings overall. But where the energy is consumed, it's consumed in a more finite set of places, right? Mm -hmm. So what this means is we have an opportunity with GPUs to rethink you know, our data centers and how we can provision more power and more energy in fewer specific data centers for very hungry training models, for example. Mm -hmm. And for the energy consumption that occurs in those data centers, make sure that it's cleaner energy. This is one more reason to fight against a repatriation movement, because when you're working with cloud infrastructure vendors, the benefit is for the data centers where the GPUs are running, they can be better managed from, you know, an environmental perspective. So you can get more power, but much cleaner power. So what this also means for developers is we need to be cognizant of the power we're consuming with our models. So, you know, do you need, um, do you need um, a, a massive LLM or is a smaller, lighter weight Falcon ML LLM much more suitable for purpose for you to run your own data set against? And the mm -hmm. answer is that many times, in, in most cases, it's, it's much more sufficient and you're going to save that much more energy. And that as opposed to running that LLM, you know, on some random physical server that happens to be in your own data center where the power might not be as clean, you know, use it on a lightweight uh, GPU cluster in cloud infrastructure provider um, where there's a great deal of attentiveness to green power. You know, because at the end of the day, if we're going to start consuming more resources uh, with GPU and generative AI, again, let's think about how we do it differently and mm -hmm. let's make this a net positive for the environment versus a net negative. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your insight, Kevin. I see we're, we're coming up on time, but do you have any parting thoughts uh, for the audience on all of this or key takeaways? No, I think key takeaways are just uh, one simple one, uh, which is, you know, we've explored a lot of the art of the possible, but 2024 is going to be the art of transforming our customer and enterprise experience. And so in 2024, let's make sure everyone is thinking differently and bringing the principles of traditional enterprise architecture to generative AI so that we can truly streamline application and model delivery uh, closest to where people can live and work. All right, great. Well, it looks like that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you again, Kevin, for coming on. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Be sure to check out all of our weekly episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. <laughs>